You know, our, our life is, as Shakespeare said, but a fleeting shadow. We have one life, as C.T. Studd said, for that will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. On the occasion of the choir singing Molly Iams' arrangement, which was written in honor of Rob Finch, thought that it would be appropriate that we would be challenged this morning from a message entitled, A Life That Makes a Difference. I trust that you noticed in the scripture reading that Pastor Wyman read for us this morning and with us that Dorcas' life made a difference. Her life made an impact. Do you know, God wants our lives to make an impact. I know that uh, I had the privilege of serving uh, the Lord with uh, Pastor Finch and Janine uh, out at Faith Baptist Church in Longmont, Colorado. And uh, that's where actually my wife grew up. And Pastor Rob was her music pastor when she was growing up. She was actually the church pianist from junior high And he poured and invested and challenged uh, and pushed, in a sense, Krista, because he saw in her some God-given ability and talent and a love to be able to use music for the Lord's glory. And so there are are many people whose lives have been uh, impacted uh, by Pastor Finch, uh, including our family, including this church. And again, one of the things that Molly said in her testimony, as you saw, was what a great encouragement Rob was to her, what an impact he made in her life. And you notice kind of how she ended it by saying, I hope I can be that in somebody else's life. And so I want to talk about the things in our life. And would you just allow the Spirit of God this morning to evaluate your life and see whether these things are true about you? And if so, how would God have you grow in these things? Seven statements. A life that makes a difference. And we're not going to turn in our Bibles until we get to the second one. But the first one is this. A life that makes a difference is a life that has been transformed. First of all, a life that has been saved. Someone that has experienced salvation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So if you claim to be a Christian, but from before you would claim to have been a Christian till now, has anything changed? If nothing has changed, you need to evaluate. Did I merely make a profession or some sort of decision? Or was there truly a transaction from my heart to the heart of God where I repented of my sin, put my faith in Jesus, the risen son of God, asking and trusting him to cleanse and to forgive me of my sin and to give me everlasting life. A life that makes a difference is a life that has been transformed through the saving grace of Jesus Christ, but it is also a life that has been sanctified. In Romans 8 and verse 29, the Bible says, For whom he did foreknow, them he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn. That word firstborn is where we get the English word for prototype. He is our pattern. He is our example. He is our blueprint for our lives. The word, therefore, to be conformed is the Greek word sumomorphos, and it literally means a gradual inward conformity into the family likeness. Maybe you've been at a family reunion. Maybe you've 
you know, you're showing off your child. Hey, this is uncle so-and-so. This is aunt so-and-so. And uh, maybe they haven't had a chance to see your child in a few years. And, you know, they'll make an observation, something like this. You know, the older he gets, the older she gets, the more you can see his dad or his mom kind of in them. Man, you can see, remember when they were little, how they did this, or they acted that way, or they made that exact same face. Isn't it funny to see that now reflected in their child, or or maybe the way that they respond to something. Man, they used to have the same reaction. Now it's fun to see that in their son or in their daughter. But the true ought to be true of the same ought to be true of us that we bear the family resemblance, that we are being sanctified. That is that there is there is a continual, gradual inward conformity to the likeness and the character of Christ that reflects him. And then the Bible says in Romans 12 and verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word transformed is that word metamorphosis, which means to change the external form. So that an internal gradual change ought to then translate to an outward expression or an outward change of life. For a person to say, yes, I put my faith in Jesus, I have a relationship with Him, but to not have any change in my responses, in my tone of voice, in in inflection, in facial gestures, in choices, in priorities, in the way that I I respond to life circumstance, or to traffic, or to people. To say, well, God knows my heart. And to excuse a lack of outward transformation is to go against the Scripture. Yes, there is to be that that continual, slow, internal transformation into the character of life. But God's purpose is that for His glory, that would be reflected in our outward life. For God does look on the inward appearance. But what does man look on? Man looks on the outward appearance. And so our testimony is important. So a life that makes a difference is a life that has been transformed. First through salvation and second through sanctification. Now take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 5. We're going to read a little bit lengthy passage of Scripture. I want you to see, second of all, that a life that makes a difference is a life that has been invested in others. So we're going to look at two little bit longer passages. These really are stories which show us the impact of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of some of His disciples. Because a life that has been invested in others is a life that reaches out. Look with me in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing in the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's. That's Peter. By the way, that was not by accident, was it? Whatever Christ did, he did purposefully. He knew that was Peter's fishing boat. He already had in mind what he was going to do, and he was going to reach out to Peter. And a life that makes a difference is a life that reaches out. So he steps into Simon's boat and prayed or asked him that he would thrust out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now, when he had left speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught or for a catch. In other words, we're going to go out in the middle of the lake, in the middle of the day, the worst place and the worst time to go fishing, and we're going to catch a great catch or load of fish. Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. He was a professional fisherman. He knew where and when to fish, and it wasn't the middle of the lake in the middle of the day. But look at this faith. 
He says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees. Notice he was not counting his prophets. Notice that his main thing was not, I don't want to, lo- I still have a loan on this fishing boat. Let's get this boat to land. I can't afford to lose this boat. I can't lose, afford to lose the profit from the sale of these fish. That was not, even in his peripheral vision, his entire focus right now is turned to Jesus Christ. He fell down at Jesus' knees. That's worship saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished and all that were with him at the drought of the fishes that they had taken. And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon and Jesus, son of Simon. Fear not. Look at this. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Peter just, Jesus just starts by, as he's teaching the crowd, and the crowd is pressing on him on the shore, so he steps into Simon's boat. Hey, Simon, would you just kind of move the boat out a little from the land and then just kind of keep it stable for me, steady, so that I can preach to this whole crowd? So Simon's kind of in the background, just kind of doing that for the Lord. And, and then when the Lord is done, he says, all right, now let's go out and go fishing. Which would have been a test of his faith and of his reputation as a professional fisherman. Um, but he obeys the Lord's word, and, and we know the story. But the point is this, that Jesus spoke Peter's language and he reached out specifically to Peter. And of course, James and John were his partners and he calls them. Hey folks, if your life is going to make a difference, then you have got to be proactive in reaching out into other people's lives. And then it's also a life that follows up and follows through. We're going to be now uh, in John chapter 21, looking verses 15 to 19. This is after our Lord's resurrection The Bible says, so that when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, Thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This he spake, signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, Follow me. So a life that makes a difference is a life that has been invested in others, not only by reaching out, but by following up and following through. There are people in our path of life as believers, and sometimes God only gives us a touch with them. It may be that you're on a plane trip somewhere, maybe for business or or for vacation. You're sitting next to somebody, and there comes that blessed time when the battery and their earbuds run out, and they can't shut you out by their earbuds and... Or maybe the, the, the stewardess is coming along or the steward and they're handing out snacks and, and, you know, and, and drinks and that sort of a thing. And so a person takes off their headphones, they're going to take a little break, they're going to eat and have a little refreshment. You have an opportunity to begin to share the gospel with them at some point, get to know them, maybe hand them a gospel tract. You may only have one touch. But you know, there are people at work, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our friend groups, 
There are brothers and sisters in Christ in whom we have invested. But you know, it is a wonderful thing to follow up and follow through. One of the things that Molly was saying about Pastor Rob was not just that he had one or two conversations with her. Did you notice that off and on over a 10, 15 year period, he would on a regular basis, just every so often he would connect with her. And he did that with many people. Because a life that makes a difference is a life that follows up and follows through. And then as she was going through a transition in, in, in her writing and, and in composing and all of that, he was there to encourage and to consistently have some of those conversations and to give her the feedback that she was asking for. He was following up and following through. And we need to follow up and follow through. Third of all, it's a life, a life that makes a difference. It's a life that has been touchable. Again, in Mark chapter 14, verses 33 to 36, the Bible says, And he taketh with him, this is Jesus, he takes with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, it might pass from him. I mean, Peter, James, and John heard him pray this. A life that makes a difference is a life that has been touchable and that means it is a life that is characterized by transparency he said abba father all things are possible unto thee take away this cup from me nevertheless not what i will but what thou wilt it's a life that's been touchable a life that has been characterized by transparency and also a life that has invested time jesus invested three and a half years with these 12 disciples. They traveled together, ate together, lodged together, faced danger together, shared in the joys of ministry together, suffered opposition together, and held countless conversations together. If our lives are going to be touchable, it means we've got to spend time with people. And that means investing probably the most one of the most precious commodities we have, and that is our time. And then a life that makes a difference is a life that has been consistent. And a life that is consistent is a life that's characterized by principled living. In Daniel 1.8, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself Underneath Old Testament law, a Jew was not supposed to eat anything that had been offered in sacrifice to an idol. Daniel knew that, and Daniel said, I am going to obey the word of God. I don't want to defile myself. This is sin, and, and I need to be pleasing to God. Therefore, he purposed in his heart. It was a principle. Listen, my greatest obedience is to be to the Lord. Now, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs. He went about the right way, and that's another entire another message. But he went about the right way of respectfully requesting to authorities, but he had purposed in his heart. He was a man of principled living. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends, in Daniel chapter 3, verses 16, they showed principled living. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, You remember when Nebuchadnezzar built this huge statue of gold of himself? commanded all uh, people within the leadership of his entire empire to come and gather in the plain and to bow down when the music played and worship his image. Everybody in that entire plain, people from all 127 provinces throughout the kingdom came and they bowed before this image to worship the image of Nebuchadnezzar except for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
They're hauled in before the king when somebody tattled on them. And the king gave them another chance. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. They were not disrespectful, but they didn't have to think about it. Why? Because they had principled living. Their first loyalty was to God, and they would rather die than betray their loyalty to their God. And they said, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king, but if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And then a life that has been consistent is not only characterized by principled living, but also by being predictable in a good way. Do you remember that Daniel, under another king, was put in a great position of authority and other rulers under the king were very jealous of Daniel? And they were scrutinizing his life to see anything that they could bring to accuse him before the king so that the king would kind of take away that that position of power and authority from him and maybe give it to them. They couldn't find anything. And they realized, man, we're not going to be able to, to find anything wrong with Daniel except concerning his God. He was predictable. And so they made a decree that no one, and they had the king sign it, and no one prayed to any God for 30 days except for... The king. But the Bible says of Daniel in Daniel 6, verses 10 11. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. He did not change. It was predictable. He knew people were watching. He wasn't doing it because they were watching. He was doing it because he was a godly man of principle and he was going to worship his God. And no earthly king was going to cause him to be disobedient to his heavenly king. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Is your life a consistent life that is predictable? That your response, your choices, your priorities are that which mirror the character of Christ. And then it is also a life that makes a difference is a life that has been compassionate. Look at the empathy of the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. The Bible says, and, and there was a leper that came to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Look at this. Put forth his hand and touched him. Now, leprosy was highly contagious. There was no cure for leprosy. It was a vile, filthy, stinking, nasty, repulsive condition. How long had it been since this man had felt the touch of compassion from another human being? How long had it been since people had not looked at him funny or stepped away from him, making sure that they weren't within the sphere of his contagiousness. But Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. Why? Well, the Bible says it right there very clearly because he was moved with compassion. He knew what that leper was feeling. Could Jesus have healed him just by a word, a spoken word? Sure he could. 
Did Jesus even have to be in his presence? No. Remember the centurion who came to Jesus saying, my, my servant is at home sick. He's dying. And the Lord said, go your way. Your servant is healed. A servant wasn't even in Jesus' presence and Jesus healed him. But Jesus moved with compassion before the hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him and he was cleansed. Think also the empathy of the Lord Jesus Christ at Lazarus' tomb when Jesus stood there, knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, knowing that all these things were for the glory of God and for the salvation of souls. And yet, as he wept, he wept, I believe, for the sorrow of Mary and Martha. I think he wept for the pain and the struggle that Lazarus had in his final hours of life before he died. I think he wept at the unbelief of the Jews who said, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have also made it that this man should not have died? But then Jesus called Lazarus forth. But do not miss the fact that Jesus wept. A life that makes a difference is a life that has been compassionate, which is marked by empathy, but also by encouragement. Jesus said, the Bible says, And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. The Bible also says of the Lord Jesus Christ, But straightway he spake unto them, saying, This is the disciples when they were in the boat, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. And Jesus came walking on the water to them, and they thought that he was a ghost. He said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid And then Jesus said to the disciples the night that he was going to be betrayed. He says to them, after warning them what was coming, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. For three, four chapters there in John, after the Last Supper, he's instructing and encouraging and and foretelling what's going to happen and and strengthening the disciples in these final hours. And he says to them, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Are you an encourager? And then a life that makes a difference is a life that has been proactive. First of all, in that it pursues, your life pursues excellent. Paul's own testimony in Philippians chapter 3 and verses 13 and 14. His brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he also, through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, challenges believers, whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. A life that makes a difference is a life that proactively pursues excellence. It is also a life that sees things that need to be done and then does it. No execution, no excuses, no procrastination. You know, they say there are three types of people in the world. Those who watch things happen, those who make things happen, and those who wonder what happened. (laughs) But you know, if our lives are going to make an impact, we need the people that are taking the initiative. We see things that need to be done, and we do them. Jesus exemplified this. Now, he was making a point with the disciples at the Last Supper. But what did he do? The Lord and Master, the rabbi, to these his disciples, who should have been waiting on him hand and foot, what did he do? He rose from 
supper and girded himself with a towel, poured water in a basin and did the job that was always meted out to the slave that got the nastiest jobs. And he washed the feet of the disciples. And it wasn't only their feet that stank. It was their attitude. For in the middle of that supper, they were arguing with one another who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. Yet Jesus served them. He saw what needed to be done and he proactively did it. And it made an impact, not only on his disciples, but on so many of us that go to that passage in John 13 and our lives are challenged afresh to be willing to wash dirty feet. It is also, and this is our last point, a life that makes a difference as a life that has been sacrificial. Can't help but think of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The Bible relates in verses 33 to 35, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. This is a man who was beaten and robbed, wounded, and left for dead. Literally, Jesus said he was half dead. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on his own beast, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. I believe all through the night. At his own expense, at exposing himself to great danger, helping a man who, if the roles were reversed, probably would have left him to die. For the Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with each other. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, gave them to the host, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. What generosity, what a sacrificial spirit to be willing to follow up and follow through to meet the needs of somebody that probably had been a perfect stranger. And so a life that has been sacrificial is also a life that is selfless. The Bible commands us, look not every man on his own things, Philippians 2, 4, but every man also on the things of others. And then a life that has been sacrificial is a life that has been characterized by generosity. The Bible says in Proverbs 19 and verse 17, He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given, he will pay him again. And then we're commanded in Matthew 5, 25, 42, Our Lord said, Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. So let me just review these seven statements with you. A life that makes a difference is a life that has been transformed, saved and sanctified. It is a life that has been invested in others. It reaches out and follows up and follows through. It's a life that has been proactive. It's a life that's been touchable. It's a life that's been consistent. It's a life that is compassionate. And it's a life that has lived in a sacrificial manner. What does God need to change in your life so that it will be a life that makes a difference for the good of others? and the glory of God. Shall we bow our heads this morning? In a moment, our pianist will come and play a hymn of invitation. I will be here in the front. Other pastors will be down at the front as well. If you'd say, you know what? I, I don't think... I've ever been transformed by God's saving grace. I'm not sure if I were to die where my soul would spend eternity. But I understand from the word of God that Jesus died on the cross and rose again because he loves me and he wants to give me everlasting life. That's correct. That's absolutely right. 
And so we want to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Let someone take the Word of God and just review that with you, answer any questions you might have, and show you from the Word of God how you can know that you have eternal life. So in a moment, we'll stand. Our pianist will play a hymn of invitation. The pastors will be at the front of the main aisles. And you can come to us and just let us know that you would like to make sure that you have eternal life. And we'll have a trained Bible counselor take you to a quiet place and show you the way of salvation and help you with that. My brothers and sisters in Christ, you only have one life. It's fleeting quickly by. Is your life a life that is making a difference? Is it characterized by these things? And if there's something very specific that the Holy Spirit just zeroed in on on your life this morning, you may just want to stand there while the rest of us stand and just bow your heads and pray. Or you may just want to sit there while the rest of us stand and pray. Or you may want to come here to the front and kneel here at these steps or sit at the front pew and just spend some time in prayer committing to allowing God to change you in that area and asking for His help. If there's some other spiritual need in your life, you're a believer, but there's some other need in your life and you would like some spiritual help or counsel, you can let one of the pastors know that as well. But shall we stand now with our heads bound as our pianist begins to play our hymn of invitation? And would you come? Would you respond to the truth of the Word of God? <laughs>